Ladies and boys and girls, Mel Herbert here. Hey, stop it. I'm allowed to do it once, okay? Once per show. Didn't we agree on that? I think we did. Look, I hate it starting off like this. It's so upsetting. But it is May 9th, and it is Thursday. So, ladies and boys and girls, first article here is from Electric, and Tesla closes its massive 2.7 billion capital raise to boost its cash position. As you all know, Tesla had to go uh, get some more cash. They still have money in the bank, a couple of billion, but they wanted a couple of billion more. So they got 2.7. So they did this. They sold about $860 million worth of shares to give them about $1.85 billion. And then they got some money from elsewhere. And then Elon also bought some stocky stock as well, bringing him up to 20% ownership in Tesla. So he believes they're going to be okay. So this is both good and bad, as we've talked about. It's good, but that now they have a significant chunk of cash that they can play with to uh, build things that build other things. But also that's just another 2.7 billion dollars in debt that they've got to come up with and so they really need to sell a lot of vehicles and so hopefully this autonomy thing is going to work out because that's where they're betting all the cash right now. The autonomy is going to mean that they're going to sell cars and then at the end of those leases of those cars they're going to keep them and they're going to put them on the network and they're going to make lots of money and we're going to see if that's true or not. We are just hoping in time for an update, a number of people have asked me to update about the Powerwalls. Because when I first started Elon Daily, which seems like forever ago, but was only about six weeks ago, I was just having Tesla Powerwalls installed and going through sort of that process and uh, how much it was and all that. And now, you know, six weeks in, I can tell you what's been going on. So let me summarize. I have a pretty big solar array that I've been building up over the last 15 years. So at peak, it's probably 15 to 16 kilowatts I can get out of that array. I've got some new panels. I've got some old panels. It's sort of uh, all mixed up. It's Frankensteinium. But then Tesla came along and put in the power walls and linked all those systems together. So now I get a really good idea using the app of how much energy I'm producing from the solar panels, how uh, charged the battery backup is, and the flow of energy. So in the perfect time of the year, which is right now, which is lots of sunny days, but not so hot yet here in the San Fernando Valley that you need to run the air conditioner you know, 24-7 or you'll die. I can fill up both cars with uh, lots of electrons directly from the solar panels. I can fill up the uh, backup battery and um, have enough energy overnight just from the battery backup, which is about 40 kilowatt hours, so that I never, ever have to use the grid. So for the last 60 days, I've basically been completely off-grid, filling up the cars, using their stuff in the house, having their battery, all perfect. Now, that may not be true in winter, because in winter, the days are shorter. You're going to create much less solar energy. And because of the way things work around here with my trees and stuff, I get much more shading. So I only make about a third as much energy in the winter than I do in the summer. So I don't know if I'll be, you know, 24-7 fully renewable in the depths of winter. I might be because I did upgrade some panels and we're making a lot more energy out of those and they don't get that shading. So we'll see. I'll let you know. But I've got to tell you, it feels good to know that if there was, for example, where we live, a giant earthquake and uh, the grid goes out and might go out for weeks to months, the probability that my little microgrid here at home also goes out is lower, which is good. They're pretty robust systems. And so in theory, I could be off-grid and the fridge could be on and air conditioners could be on if needed and the car could be charging and uh, that's good. 
And it's also good for the grid itself, we're told, that if there's lots of these little microarrays out there and they're linked to the grid when it's functioning, that this can also reduce some of the big swings that you get when everybody comes home and turns on their air conditioner and stuff. So there's a lot of good reasons personally and corporately why these microgrid systems work really well. And you can get really anal retentive about them, as I do. And I make sure that I plug the cars in during the day when it's lots of light rather than at night so that I'm using the electrons directly from the sky to the solar panels and into the cars. And Or sometimes it drags a little bit out of the battery. But you can really get anal retentive with it. And that's how I've made myself like 100% renewable for the last six weeks. They are expensive. We did talk about it. It's like $20,000 to have those three batteries installed. If you don't have $20,000, uh, that's a lot of money. If you're doing it just to save money, then you have to be in the right circumstance. And that is generally you have to be having to pay very expensive electricity at peak times and getting very cheap energy at non-peak times, even if you had no solar panels. So then you fill up your Tesla battery in the middle of the night with cheap electrons, and then you give them back to yourself during the peak periods. And so in some places... There is a huge differential between peak and off-peak, and it might actually be worth you buying a Powerwall or two or three because over a relatively short period of time, you can pay them off. That's not necessarily the circumstance here. I'm doing it purely because I want to have that backup because we've got the studio, we've got the house, and uh, we live in an area where there's a very good chance that there is going to be another big earthquake, and it might take down the grid for a long time. I lived through the, the last earthquake over 20 years ago here, and it was a big deal, a big problem for months it's hard to run a business and do your stuff when you've got no electricity. I also like the idea that me personally, because I can't afford it right now, can get 100% renewable and I can you know, do a podcast about it and I can encourage other people to do it and other businesses to do it. So there's a lot of other reasons you might do it if you have the resources. And then uh, corporately, I can see that if there's an apartment building, you could do this as well. Put up lots of solar arrays, put in lots of batteries. You can sort of start to expand this out. And we've seen this in communities now, communities coming together and getting you know funding and doing this not just for their house or for their apartment building, but for their block kind of thing. So under lots of circumstances, this works really well. It works particularly well here with solar in California and Arizona because we have so many sunny days. We have very little rain and so it's kind of a perfect scenario to have this perfectly renewable energy. But it's not a panacea in lots of places and even here. So I can imagine if there is you know, a number of weeks of uh, lots of clouds and rain that I might not be able to catch up. That, or if I wanted to still say stay 100% renewable, then I would have to really like live in one room and use very little electricity. And that's all possible if you need to do it. It's not great for sort of the day-to-day lifestyle, but there are downsides to trying to do this yourself whenever the circumstance where the sun doesn't shine brightly for a long time. So it is not a panacea, and that's why most of us will always be grid-tied. That's why most of us will always have to be linked to a system which is able to create energy when it's not sunny and when it's not windy, or at least uh, have systems in place where you can store an enormous amount of energy for those prolonged periods, like pumped hydro or something where there's so many sunny days and you put all of this excess energy into potential energy by pumping lots of water up mountains and stuff. But we can get there. Now, the modeling on this is that you can get to 100% renewable energy, but you need to have a very smart grid system, and it has to be decentralized. So a lot of the time, you're just doing it at your house, and sometimes you're using uh, the pumped hydro, but and sometimes you know, you're feeding electrons from uh, one state to another state. It can be done, should be done, needs to be done. 
but it is fun to play with a little microgrid system with using solar to show you know some of the challenges but also some of the opportunities and certainly huge opportunities for places where you cannot get grid tied electricity my brother used to live in a place like that and to have this system he had a lead acid based system and uh, he was 100% off the grid all the time but it was a real challenge these new batteries are so much better the energy density is so much more and the solar panels are just so increasingly efficient this becomes more and more usable and the prices keep coming down more and more affordable although still expensive all the time so for a lot of people in a lot of parts of the world and we're going to talk about Starlink in a second here this really is a radical game changer like to be able to have electricity 24/7 to be able to have the kids you know be able to read at night so that they can get educated and now with Starlink to be able to have 24 hour fast internet access if you've got electricity this is a big deal for big parts of the world so on that point we've been hearing from uh, Gwen Shotwell who is the uh, COO and CEO I think both titles at SpaceX that they're going to put up dozens count them dozens of the Starlink satellites May 15th is when they're going up so right now we've got two up there and they've been testing them and they seem to be working well now they're coming up with dozens so this is still sort of in the prototype phase let's get dozens up there now and uh, see if the system is working ultimately they're aiming for 12,000 of these really low earth orbiting satellites to give internet access basically to the entire world we were told that I don't know if we've had any updates at about gigabit speed, which would be incredible with really low pings. Part of the problem with the older satellite internet systems, and I had one way back in the day where here in Los Angeles I couldn't get fast internet access, so I put one of these satellite things, dishes, on my house, and the ping was you know, really long. Like a half-second ping is just forever. You really want to be you know, under 10 milliseconds if you can. So these really low-Earth uh, orbiting satellites give you short ping and the hope of really fast internet access. So... While that'll be great for everybody, and it certainly has got to be a threat to people who have land-based systems like your cable provider and your cable internet, the real game changer here is the promise of getting, now we have distributed energy across the world, distributed battery backup, and now we have fast internet access. Places that have never been sort of part of this information revolution now have the hope that they can be part of that. They can start their own businesses. They can get educated where they couldn't otherwise. This is the hope of what a lot of Elon is doing. And I got to tell you, this is the reason, although I am very critical of Elon Musk at times and some of the stuff that goes on, I'm also very hopeful that it's people like him that are actually putting the pieces together where we might be able to get through the disaster of burning fossil fuels and incredible poverty throughout the world. This is my hope for this huge challenges, but at least some people like Elon are taking it on. So Elon, keep it up. Not so much Twittering. Keep doing what you're doing. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that is your moment of inspiration. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Herbert out.